0: Like just yesterday that my wife and daughter and I got to meet you all, Uh, but it's been a wonderful week throughout this week, and I have enjoyed Pastor's hospitality and Mrs. Moore as well. Uh, He was mentioning that open house and what a lovely home they have. But uh, I've only played a board game with Pastor Moore once. It was uh, it was the game of Risk, and my life will never be the same. I won't tell you what ha- all that happens when you play Risk with Pastor Moore, but I'll let you find out for yourself. Uh, I'd like you to take the word of God and open it with me to the book of Nehemiah. The book of this great revival, not only of physically of the city, but as we saw yesterday, spiritually of the people that were there. And uh, as we have been doing, we'll read a few verses from Nehemiah 3, and then we'll open to another passage uh, as we begin tonight, which will be Ecclesiastes, the the last couple of chapters of Ecclesiastes. So Nehemiah chapter 3, and in Nehemiah chapter 3, we have been uh, looking at the gates that surrounded the city of Jerusalem. Uh, I believe that we have a picture of uh, a map of, this, of the, the gates around the city of Jerusalem. So before we read the final verses of this chapter, let me remind you where we've been so far on our walk, on our little tour around the city throughout this week. First of all, in verse 1, we came to the sheep gate, which is open to everyone. And uh, it, didn't have a, it didn't actually have any bars on it, but it had two towers guarding it. It's open to all, but no one can come in any other way to salvation except for through the sheep gate. Because as we saw right through the scriptures, uh, from the book of Genesis, from the Garden of Eden, all the way until the book of Revelation, there's a thread about the sheep, about the lamb, about the sacrifice that is needed. Uh, There was an animal killed in the Garden of Eden to cover the nakedness of Adam and Eve. And that same thought runs right the way through to the book of Revelation, which talks about the Lamb of God. Uh, which was slain before the foundation of the world. And so we see the importance of the Sheep Gate. Have you been to the cross? Have you been through the Sheep Gate? Have, do you know Christ as your Savior? If you don't, then none of the rest of what will follow uh, will, will mean anything. You have to first be saved. If you don't know for sure that you're saved tonight, then you will, you will not be able to move forward with confidence in your Christian life. Uh, once there was a a chaplain sitting behind Queen Victoria, and he overheard her, after her husband Albert had died, he overheard her leaning over to her chaplain, and uh, or there was a reporter, I'm sorry, sitting behind uh, her and her chaplain, and she, he, he heard her say to her, can, do you think that we can know for sure in this life that we have eternal life? And the chaplain said, oh, no, no, you, you cannot know for sure until you die, just as what Natalie thought in her testimony. Well, the reporter wrote this conversation down, and uh, put it in the newspaper. And a Baptist minister named John Townsend read this, and he got his whole congregation to pray as he wrote a letter to Queen Victoria, and as he shared with her verses like 1 John five thirteen, "...these things are written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that you have eternal life." And various other verses that, show, that assure us that we can indeed know for sure that we have eternal life. In this life, eternal life begins the moment we trust Christ as our Savior. And not soon after, not too long after that, uh, an unassuming letter came to John Townsend's letterbox, and uh, it was from Her Majesty the Queen, saying, "I have read the verses that you showed me from the Scriptures, and now, based upon God's Word, I indeed know for sure that I will have that I have eternal life, and that I will be in heaven." And you know, whether you're the Queen or whether uh, whether you're in the gutter, everyone is a sinner. But Jesus died for all, all, and all people must be saved the same way. You must come through the way. The Bible says, narrow is the gate. Broad is the gate that leads to destruction, but narrow is the gate that leads to life. Have you been through this sheep gate? Have you been then to the fish gate, uh, which we see is next at the top of the, the wall? That's in verse number three. And have you told anybody about your salvation? Have you become a fisher of man? Have you uh, then been to the to the old gate? Have you committed to that which you received at the beginning? Have you, have you, are you starting to build your life upon this solid foundation as we saw at the old gate? and have you then humbled yourself and realized that not everything in the christian life is going to be perfect once you become a Christian. There will be valleys, and we saw the valley gate. And many times the valley gate reveals to us things that we don't like. Uh, there's problems in life because of uh, God refining us. There's, there's problems and suffering because of sometimes because of consequences for sin. But there is a place to bring your sin. And we looked at the dung gate at the very bottom of the map. There's a place to bring our sin and to acknowledge it properly We have to acknowledge it if it's going to be cleansed. And then immediately after the dung gate is that fountain gate. The Holy Spirit is the one who helps us to change from the inside out, not from the outside in. We saw that in verse number 15. The fountain gate representing, as we saw in John chapter 7, the Holy Spirit. And then not only being filled with God's Holy Spirit to help us to become the creature that, the Christian that God saved us to be, but then we see the ongoing work of the Word of God, the cleansing work of God's Word at the water gate, which cleansed the people in Nehemiah chapter 8 at that great revival which happened at the water gate. But then you see at the top, there are three more gates. We very quickly touched on the horse gate. They're right very close to each other. And the horse gate reminds us that there is a battle that we are all in. Are you ready for warfare as a Christian? And uh, we, we saw that there is a great warfare that will run right until the Battle of Armageddon. And, uh, you know, when I was a boy, I used to read uh, certain books. Um, I read a lot of books, actually, because our school uh, had this scheme where Pizza Hut would donate uh, uh, little coupons for a personal pan pizza for every book that we would read. And so I, I would read all these books and get a personal pan pizza. But, you know, sometimes I would wonder uh, when I started to read these, these books, I wonder if this character is going to survive until the end of the book. And, you know, I would, I, would, I would sneak to the back and I would find out who lived and who died. Well, you know what? I've read the back of the book as well, this book. And you know what? We win. The Lord Jesus wins. And the battle will be won. We're on the winning side. And so there is going to be a battle. Uh, my, my grandfather was meant to be in D-Day. He was a paratrooper, but he shattered his legs just before they went. But, uh, but he called it his lucky break because most of his unit were killed. They landed in town instead of where they were supposed to. But, but uh, he, he always used to say that on D-Day, the war was won. But it wasn't until V-E Day that everybody got to celebrate and that it was properly recognized that the, the war was finally finished and won. And that's when the troops uh, were able to finally... Um, that Hitler was finally able to be totally defeated. But he really was defeated on D-Day, is what my grandpa used to say. But, you know, at the cross was our D-Day. The battle was won at the cross. But we still have some more battles to fight. And they will finally be, we'll, that will finally be finished at, uh, at V-Day, the Victory Day, when Jesus Christ comes back and wins that wonderful victory. And so this battle will continue... And are we ready for that battle? But now, let's read the final few verses of Nehemiah chapter 3. And uh, thank you for letting me do that little review of where we've been so far. Verse number 29 until verse 32. After them repaired Zadok, the son of Immer over against his house. After him repaired also Shemaiah, the son of Shechaniah, the keeper of the east gate. After him repaired Hananiah, the son of Shelemiah, and Hunan, the sixth son of Zalaph, another piece. After him repaired Meshulam, the son of Berakiah, over against his chamber. After him repaired Malkiah, the goldsmith's son, unto the place of the Nethinims and of the merchants, over against the gate Mifkad, and to the going up of the corner. And between the going up of the corner unto the sheep gate repaired the goldsmiths and the merchants. We see two more gates listed and then finally we get back to the very top where we began on Sunday morning, back to the sheep gate in verse 32. But these two gates here, the east gate and the gate Mifkad, are very close to the horse gate. Because when Jesus Christ comes and fights that battle of Armageddon on that white horse, Immediately after, there's going to be two more wonderful events that we will be able to witness. Uh, and we're going to speak about those two things tonight. What will happen there at the East Gate? And what happened? What will happen, which, rep- which is represented by the Mifcad Gate. The Mifcad Gate is an inspection gate or a judgment gate. And, you know, we are going to have to face this ourselves, an inspection, a judgment. Every person has this uh, place The word Mifkad also is used, it's translated elsewhere in the Bible, as an appointed place. An appointed place. This, this gate of inspection, this gate of, of uh, judgment is an appointed place. And I, I want to en- encourage all of us to think tonight we have an appointment with God. You can put off some appointments, but you cannot put off this appointment. You can't change it. You have an inevitable meeting with God one day. Are you ready to meet God? Are you you ready for Jesus to come back is what we're going to be thinking about. Are you ready for his return? Are you ready to stand before the judgment seat of Christ when he returns? Well, that's what we're going to talk about tonight. But because it's a youth meeting, and I said we're going to to read another uh, passage as well. I'd like you to turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 11. Just after Psalms and Proverbs is Ecclesiastes in the middle of your Bible. Ecclesiastes chapter 11, and we'll read verse 9. Many people, they don't think about their inevitable meeting with God. They don't think about that day of judgment because they they think only about what's happening right now, only what's right in front of them. But this passage reminds us that even though we have so much going on right now, we need to be thinking about then also. And let's read it together. Ecclesiastes 11, verse 9. Rejoice, O young man, in thy youth, and let thy heart cheer thee in the days of thy youth, and walk in the ways of thine heart, and in the sight of thine eyes, But know thou that for all these things God will bring thee into judgment. If you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, perhaps underline the word rejoice. Then look at chapter 12 and verse 1. Remember. Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. He says, rejoice, but also remember, remember. Let's continue reading here in verse 12, in chapter 12. It says in verse two, while the sun or the light or the moon or the stars be not darkened, nor the clouds return after the rain. And then he's gonna talk about how there's certain warnings that will come that this meeting is getting closer, this inevitable meeting that you have. In verse 3, in the days when the keepers of the house shall tremble. I believe that's talking about your hands which begin to tremble as you get a little bit older. And the strong men shall bow themselves, your knees, your, your legs. The grinders cease because they are few. You start to lose some teeth. Pastor Moore told us the story about... Uh, uh, about uh, a man sitting in the front row when Ian Paisley was preaching, and he was saying that about one day there'll be a judgment and people will be cast into the lake of fire where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And the man on the front row said, "What about when we don't? If those who don't have any teeth?" And Mister Paisley said, "Teeth will be provided." <laughs> but uh, you know. We start to lose them because we, we, it's a warning. All these warnings are coming. And those that look out of the windows be darkened. We start to get problems with our eyes. I heard that 50% of people will get cataracts. And the doors shall be shut in the streets when the sound of the grinding is low. And he shall rise at the voice of a bird. You don't get to sleep as much, you know, you rise at the voice of a bird, and the daughters of music shall be brought low. Also, when they shall be afraid of that which is high, my, my father loves heights, but he, he's getting a bit of vertigo now. It says, fear shall be in the way, the almond tree shall flourish. It, when the almond tree flourishes, it turns beautiful white blossoms and uh, you know, your pastor has a great crown of wisdom there on his head. But uh, the almond tree flourishes, the grasshopper shall be a burden, and the desire shall fail, because man goeth to his long home, and the mourners go about the streets. Or ever the silver cord be loosed, I think that's the, the mind and the brain, the golden bowl shall be broken. Perhaps the, the lungs, the pitcher shall be broken at the fountain, and the wheel broken at the cisterns, the heart. And it says in verse seven, "Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the spirit shall return unto God who gave it." Do you, do you remember what it says in verse number chapter eleven, cha- verse number twelve, chapter twelve and verse one? Remember now, and I got you to underline rejoice, but remember. We'll also underline now, and then in ver- chapter in chapter twelve, verse seven, underline then. You're living now, but remember then, remember then that it, it, for all these things, it said in verse 9 of chapter 11, that the, for all these things, God will bring thee into judgment. And verse number 13 of chapter 12, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man, for God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good good. Or whether it be evil. There is this day of inspection, this day of judgment, uh, and and Jesus will indeed come again. Now, back to the, the idea of this judgment, this Mifkad gate, but before that, we see the Eastern Gate. The East Gate was the first gate to be opened every morning. The question would be asked O watchman, what of the night? And what a thrill it was every day in Jerusalem when the watchman on the wall would cry out, The dawn is coming. I see the light on the horizon. And the sun will soon be up. That was a a traditional cry, according to Jewish tradition, that they would say from the east gate. Oh, watchman, what of the night. And this world is getting darker and darker. Now, when we went to Israel, this is a picture of us uh, getting on the airplane, going to that trip together to Israel. The first thing we did when we, when we got off the plane, uh, one of the first things we did the first day we were there, is we went to the Mount of Olives, and we can see down below the eastern wall of the city. And uh, every morning the sun comes up over that Mount of Olives, and when it hits that eastern gate, the day has uh, begun. The day has begun the new the new the new day uh, and they would make that cry we but we noticed very quickly uh, my wife took this next picture that uh, you see the eastern gate a little bit off to the right there on the wall down below but all around there are these graves on the on the wall down on the on the mountain down to the to the Kidron Valley and then back up to the other side of the wall it's all graves and all facing east fact, I think here in this country, uh, all people are buried facing east usually in most cemeteries. Even atheists are. But why? Because there is a promise. There's a hope coming over the horizon. The city was safe when the sun comes up after the long night of watching and waiting and wondering if there would be danger from an enemy in the darkness. It would bring joy to the people of the city to hear the watchmen say the night was almost over. A rosy stream of light was breaking through. Uh, you know, taking away the, the black of the night and all of its eeriness. The, and, the, and then when that cry was heard, the creaking of the eastern gate would reassure the people that the night was over. And one day that eastern gate will open once again and we will know the long night of death is over. There's, there's so much to remind us. We, we, we read Ecclesiastes. I preached that once in our church and a Peruvian lady, she said, I didn't like your sermon today. She said, you were preaching to me, weren't you? Talking about old age. And I said, I said, no. She said, you looked at me. And I, I said, no, I, I said, I'm just reading the Bible. It applies to all of us. We're all heading towards that. And yet we have victory over death through Christ. The Eastern Gate reassures our hearts that one of these days, that night of sin will be over. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible calls him the bright and morning star. He will appear in his living Brilliance. He will uh, he, just just as the millennial kingdom comes, he will come to that gate. Now we know that Jesus Christ will come in the clouds for the saints, and then we'll begin the last bit of the, uh, the darkest part of the battle, the seven years of tribulation. And while we are are who and who know the Lord, we would. Sh- those who are dead will get their new bodies. They will come with him. And yet the Bible says also they'll raise. So uh, why, do they, why do these people um, have their graves here? They, they think they're going to get a front row seat to when the Messiah comes. The Jewish people connect this gate to Messiah's return. Even uh, the Muslims who live here connect this gate to a, a time of judgment in the future. But they're, they're thinking they're going to get a front row seat. But actually that's going to happen seven years earlier for those who know Christ Christ will bring those dead, dead in Christ with him but all, they'll also be raised so they'll get that new body and then we, we which are alive and remain, the Bible says, shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. That is when believers will uh, be, be standing before that meeting with the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible calls it the judgment seat of Christ. The judgment seat of Christ is uh, sometimes we, we call it the, the Bema seat. But Jesus Christ is going. To, we are going to appear before him, the Bible says, and we shall receive a reward for the works that are done in the body. You're not going to be judged there uh, whether you're going to heaven or not. That's, that's whether you're, when you get saved, your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Is your name there? My wife and I were able to visit... Uh, uh, the Titanic Museum in Belfast this week, and we, i 'm sure you 've seen at the end those those uh, striking screens which at the top it says those that were saved and then underneath it has the names of those that are lost and and people would gather at the uh, White Star offices and they would look at the great posters with those two posters, those that were saved, those that were lost, and they would wonder which which of those boards is my loved one on? But I want to ask you, what, which, which of, those, of those books is your name in? Is your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life? Have you trusted Christ as your Savior? Well, those that are saved, they will be there, but they will be judged for their rewards. And so I would love to receive that word from our Savior, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. I would not want to be ashamed. There's an old song, by and by, when I look on his face, beautiful face, thorn shadowed face, by and by, when I look on his face, I'll wish I had given him more. This world's not our home. We are going to, just as Brother Peter sang for us the first song tonight, we're going to see the Lord face to face. But then the Bible says he will return and we spoke about that, that battle that, uh, that the horse gate reminds us of. Jesus Christ will return on a white horse. And the Bible tells us he will come to the east gate. Or it, we believe he'll come to the east gate because he'll come to the Mount of Olives here. And it will split. And uh, the Bible says in the book of Zechariah, uh, it will split uh, east, and, uh, uh, north and south. And it will it'll create a great... Uh, corridor for the Lord Jesus to come through. Uh, the Bible talks about this east, east gate as well. As the Lord Jesus came the first time in, uh, during his first visit into the city, he wasn't riding on a white horse. He was riding on a, on a donkey. And he came in, as Zechariah also had predicted that he would, lowly, riding upon an ass and a colt, the foal of an ass. And he came into the city uh, down this, uh, from Bethany, down this Mount of Olives and to the Garden of Gethsemane. I think we have another picture from the Garden of Gethsemane that, that my wife took, looking up at the Eastern Gate and then continued down into that Kidron Valley and then up into the city through the Eastern Gate. By the way, when you get to go to Israel, you start to, you can you see it in, in real life. I, I just thought as I stood here at this spot, you know, the Lord Jesus was here at the Garden of Gethsemane praying and the Bible says that the, the people of uh, the soldiers, they came down uh, towards him with lanterns and torches. And I thought, you know, he would have saw them zigzagging down that, that uh, Kidron Valley coming toward him. He could have easily got back up over the mountain and run away, hidden out in Bethany, but he waited for them and he stepped out to meet them. What a wonderful Savior we have. But the Lord Jesus, on the day he, a few days uh, earlier, he had come to this gate. He had gone up with palms, palm branches. They were shouting Hosanna. But now, you see, it's blocked up. It's blocked up. The Bible speaks about how the glory of God had left from the temple. In Ezekiel 44, the Bible speaks about the the glory of God leaving the, the temple and going out the east gate, going to the Mount of Olives and ascending to heaven. Well, they didn't realize that the glory of God had come back to the temple on this, at this time. Uh, but, but now uh, the Bible also speaks about how it will come back again in the future in Ezekiel. The glory of God will come back to the temple once again. The Lord Jesus will come back to the temple once again. And uh, I was speaking with Pastor David as well that this gate will be opened for the Lord Jesus as he comes in and then also uh, the prince will go in, which we believe is uh, King David. He will come back uh, during this millennial kingdom. And the millennial reign, the 1,000-year reign of Christ, will begin. And then the Bible says in Ezekiel 44 that the gate will be shut up once more uh, after the prince David goes in. So really, the Lord Jesus is going to go through there, and that's, that's going to be the only one. Do you know that, that uh, uh, Salimon, I believe it was Salimon the Magnificent, He heard about this prophecy of the Messiah, so he blocked up the gate. And he buried, uh, he he put Muslim graves in front of the gate. Uh, My wife and I got to visit. There's Natalie and Laura. uh, And this whole section right in front of the Eastern Gate is Muslim graves. Uh, We managed to get this photo, but there were three Muslim men following us as we tried to go there to get this photo, making sure that we didn't get any closer to it. And... um, uh, but there was a, a, a archaeology student in 1969 who walked uh, along this same spot, and you see where the, the black fence is in the photo? He walked up there, there was, the black fence wasn 't there in 1969. He walked up there, and he fell into a hole. This is where the, the message gets a little bit Indiana Jones like, you know, and he fell into a hole, and uh, his name was James Fleming. And he, this was, he got a photograph while he was down in the hole. Uh, there were many bones there. But do you see an archway? The, the, the outline of an arch there at the top? And that was the gate. It's below where, um, where the current gate is. Uh, but uh, that would have been the gate that the Lord Jesus would have, would have gone through uh, on the donkey. But uh, however it will happen, the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ will indeed enter the city. That great earthquake will happen at the end of the tribulation. And when Jesus touches down on that white horse there at the Mount of Olives, it will, the whole mountain will split in two. And I don't think it will be any problem at all for the Lord Jesus to go through those gates. In fact, I think about uh, Psalm 24, which says, Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lift up, ye everlasting doors. And the King of glory shall come in. The Lord Jesus, after his resurrection, his ascension, He, he opened the gates were opened in, in heaven and they welcomed him there. But one day the gates here will open in Jerusalem and he will be welcomed back here as well. What a wonderful day that will be. Jesus is coming back. But there's a, a, another gate as I said as well here, the, the Mish, uh, Miph, Miphaz gate here in Nehemiah chapter 3. And uh, by the way, here's a little diagram of the, the old gate underneath the current gate. And you see that little grave that James Fleming fell into uh, when he took that photograph there. But there's another gate, and that is the Mifkad Gate. The inspection, you see the horse gate, you see the east gate, and you see the, the Mifcad Gate. And they're very close to one another. These things will happen very close to one another, and it's coming. People say, well, when is Jesus coming back? People have always been saying He's coming back. But the Bible says... Though it tarry, wait for it, for it shall not tarry. In the book of Habakkuk. What does that mean? Though it tarry, wait for it, for it shall not tarry. It's, it's, we've been waiting a long time, but when it happens, it will be very quick. Jesus said, lo, I come quickly. And, and when he comes back, not only will he have already had the judgment for believers, but the Bible also speaks... About about a time of judgment for those that had survived the tribulation period, and so there will be this time at the Mifkad Gate, I believe, and the Bible speaks about here in the valley near Jerusalem that this will happen. the The judgment of the sheep and the goats. This gate was the inspection gate where where King David would stand and inspect the troops as they came back from battle. And he would count them. He would be so happy, I'm sure, to see his troops coming home. And uh, I'm sure that all the people who will survive the tribulation, who believed in Christ, the Lord Jesus will have a wonderful time uh, saying to them, uh, welcome and well done as well. And uh, the Bible speaks about this in uh, Matthew chapter 24. Let's look at, at that together. Matthew chapter 24. Verse 29, Uh, sorry, verse 27, for as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be, for wheresoever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. Uh, but then, at the end of the tribulation, he's coming to the earth with his saints, and he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven unto the other. So this gathering, the saints will be uh, this, the tribulation saints will be rewarded for their faithfulness in doing God's. So we we'll look at verse forty-five. Who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household to give him them meat in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Verily I say unto you that he shall make him ruler over all his goods. But and if that evil servant shall say in his heart, my Lord delayeth his coming and shall begin to smite his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the heathen, uh, with the drunken, the Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he looketh not for him, and in an hour when he is not aware of, and shall cut him asunder and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And, and there's so much more. I'm sure your pastor preaches from this many times. But there is coming that day uh, when Jesus Christ will win that final battle, he'll come through that eastern gate. And in eternity, the millennium will begin. And after that, uh, the judgment of those who did not have their names written in the Lamb's Book of Life. the, The great white throne judgment. And then the new heaven and the new earth. And then that's where the Bible finishes. And then eternity begins. And we will be ever with the Lord, the Bible says. And so when you think about it that way, this life is so short, isn't it? This life is so short. And every morning you, you look in the mirror, you might see a few more wrinkles or a few more gray hairs like I have. And every one of those gray hairs is saying a warning to us. Your meeting is coming. Your inevitable meeting that you have with God is coming. And you need to be ready for it. Be, are you ready for it? The Bible tells us that you can be. You can be sure of your salvation. And if you are, you don't have to dread these things that I'm talking about tonight. You don't have to be worried about it in the slightest. You can be excited. You can be joyfully looking for your Savior's return. And you won't have to be timid in these days of wickedness and days of darkness. I'll finish with this story because the the Bible then says that the the, the tour ends there back at the sheep gate. When we get to heaven, we're we're not going to say, woo, I made it. I've done enough good works. No, you're going to fall on your knees and say, All the glory belongs to Jesus. When we get those crowns, when we get those rewards at the judgment seat of Christ, the Bible says in the book of Revelation that the elders representing the church will cast their crowns at Jesus' feet. He gets all the glory. He's the one who saved us. And we'll be singing forever about the lamb that was slain. Worthy is the lamb. We'll be back at the sheep gate. We'll always be back uh, singing the praises of the Lord Jesus. If you don't know for sure you're going to heaven you can be and you can face all of these things with great joy my my grandf- my great grandfather my, my grandpa's father was in San Francisco when the Golden Gate Bridge was being built and he uh, told the story about how a few people died and fell down into the into the bay as they were building it and after that so many after that scene of of seeing their fellow workers die the, the people were filled with fright and the workers were filled with, filled with trepidation and the, the work almost came to a halt as the workers were going so slowly. And so the owners of the, the bridge came down and at great expense, they built a, a wonderful net beneath the entire span of the Golden Gate Bay. And after that, the bridge was finished in record time and not a single one of them uh, fell. But you know, if you don't know for sure, where you're going for all of eternity and which side of this battle you're going to be on, you're going to be moving forward with such trepidation. You're going to be moving forward so slowly. If you don't know for sure that you're saved, I encourage you, come to the Lord Jesus. The Bible says underneath are His everlasting arms. And you can know that no matter what happens, that you are His for all of eternity. And you can know for sure that you will be on the winning side. When these, when these things come to pass. Let's pray. Father, we pray that if there's anyone here who doesn't know for sure that they're going to heaven, I pray that they can get that settled tonight. If they don't know for sure that they'll be on the winning side of this, this everlasting uh, battle that's been going on for so long, that they'll be on the winning side of it when it finally comes to an end, I pray that they can get that settled this evening. If they're 99% sure that they're going to heaven, May that 1% of doubt scare them to come to make it right with you and to settle and to receive Christ as their Savior. Father, I pray that you'll help them to just come to that verse in Isaiah which says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have gone everyone to his own way, but the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. May they humble themselves when they come to that phrase, All we like sheep have gone astray just like humbling themselves to go through the narrow gate, but then help them to come through the other side of that verse. The Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all, and may they stand up with confidence and come out the other side of the gate and begin a wonderful journey with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.